Follow us on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. You will have to enter that in because the fact that we are adult content means that we have agreed to make ourselves unsearchable on their website. My name is Elle and I'm a sex educator. My name is Jen and I'm a private investigator. We want to learn more about ourselves. I'm like the boring vanilla one over here that's like, I don't do anything, but I'm, cu- I'm curious. And the fact that we're both sex workers means that we have insight into things taboo. Trigger warning, if you're easily upset by this stuff, maybe take a break. I have a feeling this is going to be weird. Sex and politics make for some strange bedfellows. Welcome to Strange Bedfellows. Follow us on Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. Uh, Jen and I have a guest, Stella Harris. You can say hello. Hello. I gave you permission. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) Stella Harris is an erotica writer, a sex and intimacy coach who specializes in kink, kink and pleasure and communication, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a new book, Tongue Tied, Untangling Communication in Sex, Kink and Relationships. I like the part in the intro where your grandma didn't want you to use a tampon. Yeah. Can you tell that story? Sure. (laughs) Um, So my upbringing, I grew up in LA. Uh, I was born in 1980. So a lot of my coming of age stuff was pre-internet. My mom was actually relatively sex positive. I got really matter of fact information about sex and sexuality. Um, And then she passed away when I was 12. And I moved in with my dad and his parents. And my grandparents were very old-fashioned and conservative. And so uh, good information about sex uh, abruptly ceased. (laughs) Mm. And a lot of negative information and body shaming and all of that started up. So luckily I had a little bit of a base. Um, So what happened was when I got my period, luckily I knew what that was all about already and I knew it was coming and uh how old were you when you got your period do you remember I was 13 okay mm-hmm. how old were you Jen I was like 11 I was an early bloomer <laughs> I was 12 okay so we're all that's funny I think the average age I remember reading uh some years ago I think for women who were adults in 2005 it was something like the average age they'd started menstruating was 12 and a half Mm-hmm. So we're pretty close to all about that. I mean, 12 exactly, just between the three of us. Yeah. We're all very average. Yeah, I also, though, I also had boobs, like, wait, I was, like, one of the first people to have boobs, even though the boobs that I got in fourth grade were basically <gasps> the boobs that stayed with me until I got a boob job. Like, oh, they kind yeah. of, they grew then, and then they didn't anymore. How was that for you? Um, Weird. I was really ashamed of them for a while. And then when I grew old enough, then really irritated that they weren't getting bigger because (laughs) I felt like I was owed that. Like, you seemed like you were going to be bigger. (laughs) You had (laughs) expectations. You had expectations. (laughs) I've been misled by puberty. Why Uh, do you think you wanted bigger boobs? Well, I grew up in the South. And that's in the 90s, growing up in the South. And do you feel like there was pressure to have boobs? Yeah, boobs. it's at that time, like, that's the body type that was, there was Pamela Anderson. Pamela Anderson, Anderson. I was, was just going to say. That age, big everything. So, but, so you talked to grandma. Yeah, well, so what happened was, you know, I just, I hopped on my bike and went up to the drugstore and got some tampons. I was like, well, that's what you do. I've got this. Uh, and she was very nosy and used to go through my room. So she found the tampons, which weren't particularly hidden, and confronted me about it 
um, and the speech sort of included some factual errors I knew how to correct and some societal stuff that I didn't have figured <laughs> out yet at 13. But basically, her stance was I was going to break my hymen and then not be able to get a husband. Um, <laughs> so at 13, I, I didn't yet have the language for virginity as a social construct or anything like that. But what I did know was that she was wrong about how bodies worked. And so I had uh, the full Encyclopedia Britannica set from my other grandmother. Wow. And so I pulled out the, the appropriate volume and, and turned to the transparency pages they had about anatomy. And I taught my grandmother that the hymen is not, in fact, a solid, uh, piece, solid of piece of tissue. That there is an opening there or else really where would the blood be coming from? And so she did have to concede that point. Mm. Although later when I went to a gynecologist for the first time at her insistence when I was 17, she wanted to talk to the doctor and hear from him that my hymen was intact. So it was all very medieval <sighs> and creepy. And invasive. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Much later I learned from her some of her earlier experiences and, and why she was misinformed because if I thought I had it bad, it turned out she had tried to get a diaphragm before her wedding and the doctor just laughed at her and told her she had to come back after her wedding night. And she surmised from that that there was no oh. opening for the fitting. And so then, of course, she didn't get one and was pregnant immediately after her marriage. And she was one of those miserable 1950s housewives with babies and an absent husband. And that's so sad. So as a grown up now, I have more empathy for where she was coming from. But as a teenager, this was not not a great environment. God. So medieval is really the word, too. Yeah. And yeah. And I feel bad because I'm not trying to portray grandma negatively. But like the stuff that she said to you was so impacted, obviously, by what was said to her. Yeah. And how do you get good information if it's nowhere to be found? It's true. Yeah. And I love that you investigated further to like get really get to the meat behind that story mm -hmm. because we really could have just left it at like oh look <laughs> look grandma's just conservative and from another time right. but it's really it's I guess she's just kind of passing on the injustice that was mm -hmm. yeah. kind of foisted onto her by an arcane mm -hmm. bro I don't know just yeah. misinformed medical mm -hmm. medical system yeah totally and there's not that many books about the stuff that you're writing about Stella like really it's a small pool I think of writers and educators so um, can, what can you tell us about the book sure yeah I did uh, you know one of the early things I did was hop on Amazon and, and look for books about communication and sex just to see what was out there already and all of those search terms only brought up how to talk to kids about sex hmm. there was nothing about how <laughs> how adults can talk to each other hmm. and I'm sure that that is a feature of of other books that exist. I know that it is, but not in terms of search terms. So this book came from a conversation I had with uh, Cleus Press, uh, my publisher. They initially reached out to me to write a book for them about bondage. And when I was on the phone with them about that, uh, because I'm me, I was geeking out about the communication and negotiation aspects required to make bondage safe and fun. And so a week later, they called back and said, uh, we'll have someone else do the bondage book. Why don't you do one about communication and negotiation? Mm. And so that's how this book was born at the beginning of last year. And so I got to say everything that I say over and over again in in classes and in client sessions. But I get to go a whole lot deeper than that because I usually get, you know, an hour to two hours. And for this, you know, I have a whole book to talk about 
how to talk to partners, um, a lot about self-discovery. A question I get asked a lot is, how do you ask for what you want if you don't know what you want? Mm-hmm. Because many of us don't know the menu of options. Um, so there's a, a lot about self-discovery. There's a lot about how to talk to partners. And then there is information about doing some of these safely. There's some example conversations around certain topics. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of examples of the how because again another thing I hear all the time is talking ruins the mood Mm. I mean I think uh, enduring mediocre sex (laughs) ruins the mood (laughs) all on its own Mm -hmm. Um, so I have a lot of examples of how to make that not the case everything from starting earlier in the interaction to using dirty talk what do you mean starting earlier in the interaction well I think when people are saying talking ruins the mood they're imagining a really sort of typical date where you know you walk home together and then you kiss at the front door and then you go in and there's making out and there's clothes coming off and then by the time you are in bed and naked and doing whatever if then you started saying well actually the way i like to be touched is a little to the left and with this kind of pressure have you been tested (laughs) (laughs) you have a timeout so so yeah that could be a little jarring but if you know earlier on on the date you had a conversation maybe about safety or what both of you are looking for from the interaction in general if you had a check-in before any kind of goodnight kiss even happens, mm-hmm. if you even say like, hey, can I stand a little closer to you? Can I put my arm around you? That sort of thing when it's welcome is actually really sexy instead mm-hmm. of jarring. And if you get in the habit of talking about those things and you've already talked about kisses and other touches being welcome, then it's not strange or out of the blue if you're talking about how you want your genitals touched Mm -hmm. but if that's the first thing you say out loud maybe that's going to feel a little strange (laughs) it's such a good way to flirt too if you have like a negotiation sheet you're trying to surreptitiously fill out an exchange over like a brunch table you know Mm -hmm. like ooh, look how flirty we're being in public we're talking about who's gonna eat whose ass you know but like pass the hot sauce (laughs) (laughs) That's a horrible, (laughs) horrible combination of words I just made. But it's like, um, but it's like playing footsie under the table because you get to draw out the interaction even longer. I Mm -hmm. like that. I like the anticipation of it. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's stuff that everybody is into, Mm -hmm. I think talking about it is part of the fun. Mm -hmm. I want to look forward to what's going to happen later. That's great. Mm -hmm. I remember there was someone I was interested in. And when we were just um, texting, he mentioned that he was hep C positive. And so that was a really good opportunity for me to be on my phone already and start Googling about hep C transmission. And I found out like, oh, it's blood to blood. Um, And so we did end up having um, a sexual relationship and it was very like barrier aware, but it was so great because he gave me the option to investigate all of this before we were even close to fucking. And that just made me a lot more relaxed. So Absolutely. It is such um, both a turn on and sets me at ease if the other person brings up anything to do with safety first. If mm-hmm. I don't have to be the one who launches into the STI talks. Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, it takes some of the pressure off of me of always having to take the lead on that front. Mm-hmm. And it lets me know that people are doing this with other partners mm-hmm. and they're not just accommodating me, but mm-hmm. they clearly do this with everyone, which is mm-hmm. one of the things I'd like to know. 
I was at lunch by myself uh, last week and these two women uh, sat near near enough that I could hear what they were saying without trying to hear it. And the way that they were taking turns and ordering food and asking what the other person liked or what they'd had or whatever, I thought, oh, they sound like kinky, queer sex educators. And literally after they placed their order, they started talking about the shibari rope workshop they were doing that week. <laughs> and I was like, yes, because it's such a it's such mm-hmm. a, a set of language that you can learn and just use all the time, like having sex or ordering food. I think that's great. Um, what are some common questions you get, Stella? I mean, there's everything. Yeah. That, <laughs> there's a little bit of everything. Um, a lot of the stuff that I'm sure you get as well. You mm-hmm. know, I get um, a lot of things about threesomes and anal sex. Those seem to be really popular. How do I find someone for a threesome? Mm-hmm. That's a, I mean, a lot of the times, I, you know, when people ask me something, I end up reframing the question because I also get a lot of things that are some flavor of like, am I okay? Or how do I fix this thing about me? You know, so if someone is coming to me and telling me that there's something about their body or the way they perform sexually that's wrong, you know, the first thing I'm going to say is, well, actually all bodies are different. And here's all of the things that you can do with the way that you're body is performing mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. a lot of times it's a matter of, of reframing the question rather than answering it as asked you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of those sort of keywords when people say something about fix or broken or should mm-hmm. and should <laughs> should I should be able to be hard the whole time I fuck my girlfriend um, mm-hmm. according to who my person <laughs> is not hard all the time like comes and goes I'm not wet all the time either yeah Jen you look like you want to say something no, I don't. Well, I mean, I was just going to add it or 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 I should be able to get my boyfriend off within a certain amount of time. Yeah. Like, why isn't that? What's yes. hap- What's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with those thoughts for sure. Mm. I definitely what? blow people's minds by suggesting there are ways to have sex that don't involve a hard penis. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I'm working with queer couples, there are still a lot of assumptions like both people have to have an orgasm for it to have been sex. Mm-hmm. And all of these assumptions that we have that are making people feel like they're bad at sex mm-hmm. simply because their bodies are doing exactly what bodies do. Let's take a break and we'll come back and do listener questions with Stella Harris. Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your shift with new 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. class times. Seeking Space is rooted in empathy, and they've combined creative flows and experienced teachers to provide a safe, inviting space for any and all wishing to find peace on the mat. Need a little motivation? They are offering 10% off on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and a full list of class times. Passion by Kate is an award-winning resource for women and couples who crave a more intimate, exciting, and fulfilling sex life. Passion by Kate's affirming writing, workshops, and one-on-one counseling help you create a new level of openness and intimacy with your partner without feeling awkward, twisting yourself into a pretzel, or spending hours a day on intimacy-building activities. Learn more and find hashtag freedom and pleasure at Passion by Kate. That's K-A-I-T dot com. 
Mention this podcast to receive a complimentary 30-minute counseling session when you purchase any Passion by Kate product or service. If you're looking to jazz up a jacket, bag, or just your fine self, our friends at Gimme Flare have everything you could possibly need. Gimme Flare is the largest online retailer of pins and patches that range from the cute and sweet to the snarky and slutty. They are sex positive, queer friendly, and aim to crush mental health stigma, all with fun flair from around the globe. Check out gimmeflare.com to browse items from over 250 plus artists. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. You can follow us on Instagram at Strange Bedfellows PDX. We have Stella Harris here. We're going to be taking some listener questions. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. Uh, what is your website, Stella? StellaHarris.net. It sure is. Yeah. StellaHarris.net. Yeah. All right. So I'm embarrassed to even admit this, but recently we tried some 50 Shades style. <gasps> kink to spice it up and it was a miserable failure (laughs) i have feelings about this my partner and i would like to embrace some kink but it's pretty clear at this point when we're grappling in the dark than turning up the heat please don't mimic anything you see in those books or movies (laughs) ever (laughs) stella do you have thoughts so many so many like am i the only person that hasn't seen or read any of it i've like purposefully good for you seems like a middle school idea of what bdsm is oh yeah i don't even really know what bdsm is but i imagine it's probably not whatever that is so the protagonist (laughs) does a couple things he does a lot of things but for example um he calls her stupid when she ends up using her safe word at some point which the whole idea of having a safe word is that you can signal to the other person when you would like the activity to stop for safety or mental health reasons or whatever um i actually use my safe word more often than not because for me i like to play to a point where i just want to i can't take it anymore you know i I push it right to my boundary um and that's my comfortable area but it's uh he also he calls her stupid a lot um he makes how can you expect anyone to be open with you when you're calling them stupid well, he has a lot of money and he's very handsome and he whisks mm. her off out of her boring monotony of whatever office job. Um, what else does he do? Did you read any of those, Stella? I have not actually read them. I have just read, you know, article after article tearing them apart. I just kind of figured I didn't need the real thing right. <laughs> in my head. But it seems like, I mean, some of the bigger problems from everything that I've read is the consent piece is generally completely missing. Yeah. You know, well, at least the images I've seen from the movies, like they're not actually doing any of the things that they're doing safely. Right. And in the beginning, so he's very sexually experienced. She's a virgin. And there's a power discrepancy there that is important to acknowledge because she is a virgin. She's a virgin. This oh, is her first. God. So right. Fetishizing because innocence. Because experience in a woman mm-hmm. isn't sexy on a commercial yeah. level still right yeah. uh. mm-hmm. so um but he also makes her ma- it communicates to her that once they sign a contract it is irrevocable and that's not the case yeah i see some real head wagging <laughs> and agreements can change and negotiation forms change as they do as you learn more about yourself so just some major things there um so can we think of some good examples, some better examples, Stella? I have a really hard time with this, actually. Like kink that's modeled health healthfully in 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 literature. Um, 
more of what I would think about are more of the how-to style mm-hmm. books. You know, I can't think of a lot. I mean, that when it's literature, when it's movies, it's supposed to be a fantasy, right? I mean, the way porn is supposed to be a fantasy and not mm-hmm. sex ed. Mm-hmm. And these movies, they're fantasies. Mm-hmm. But because we get so few examples of healthy sex, healthy kink, any of that, we end up using these things as if they're a model for how to when we are not trying to learn other life skills. You know, we're not, you know, learning how to drive from action movies and everyone would think that that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that is sort of what these are. They're the the action movie fantasy um, of kink and BDSM. So they're just simply not good models. I would say getting any of the various how-to books something mm. like um as kinky yeah. as you want to be or ultimate guide to kink who's no, who wrote as kinky as you want to be do you know it's edited by shauna germain okay um i have an entry in there but it's it's a compilation from a number of different contributors okay and then jay wiseman's sm 101 yeah i love that one yeah oh i love the negotiation forms in that one that book was written 22 years ago and it's still great it turns people off because it's pretty dense but the information right. is it's worth kind of it. like a yeah. Bible though for mm-hmm. it's it's a it's not the but it's a Bible for kink and BDSM. Mm-hmm. Um, Screw the roses, send me the thorns. I hear recommended quite a bit. That's what was handed to me when I was seventeen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what brought me where I am today. Yeah, and these yeah. aren't fiction, you know. These are how to, but there is erotica. A lot of these are laced with short erotica stories. Um, I think to give example to. I do like the erotica collections um, edited by Rachel Kramer Bussell mm. and as well um, Shauna Germain and Allison Tyler. Um, you know, shameless self-promotion I am in some of their collections. That said, But that's all how you know them, about them. Yeah. It's okay. I've worked with them a lot and I know that they get it and I know when they're choosing stories. You know, when I look at them, it's not it's not all my kink and it's not all exactly how I would have done it, but those things tend to be much better examples. You know, you will see safe words being used. You'll see negotiation happening in the stories. Mm -hmm. And I actually often suggest those kinds of books to my clients, um, especially Rachel Kramer Bustle, a lot of her collections, she does short shorts. um, And so some of the stories, you know, it'll be a whole book of stories that are 500 to a thousand words. Mm -hmm. So it's a really low commitment, especially for the folks who say they don't really like reading books or if they're afraid something's not going to be their kink. You're only in it for a few pages. You can Mm -hmm. see if you like that thing. If you're not into it, you turn to the next one, and then you can see if you like that thing. And she has collections that are all about bondage, some that are just general kink. And it's a really great way to take something on a test drive in the fantasy form rather than having to physically try all the things. Mm-hmm. So so what is the difference when you to go back when you just said there's some of it is just bondage and some of it's general kink. So it's not all the same thing. I mean I'm <laughs> I'm like the boring vanilla one over here that's like, I don't do anything. But I'm cu- I'm curious like what sure. so what are you referring Can to? Can we think here? of some good examples of um kinky interactions or relationships, Stella, that aren't the typical like whips and chains? Uh, for example, um, let's see, acts of service mm-hmm. so, between yeah, a couple. Doing so, service or so nurturing I, connections. Right. So I clean the whole house for you like a good little girl. And if I do a good job, then, you know, I, whatever. Okay. Um, what else? Oh, I remember I went to a, a bondage workshop and one of the one of the people there said that his sub uh, would clean his kitchen 
but she used the wrong sponge once. And so he got to punish her for it, which was consensual, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and I think that, I think that's beautiful. You know, what else? Um, well, I think part of it is that people see those certain ideas. I, I had clients recently who were curious about kink, but thought it wasn't for them because those ideas of you have to have on, you know, a special outfit right, the and do the persona. And, and the people were like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. You know, I, they're jeans and t-shirts people. And I'm like, that's fine. You hmm. get to do whatever you want and whatever works for you. And also that idea that the top or dominant is... Um, domineering mm. and you know that sort of 50 shades asshole dom type that's what people think and when someone's like well I love my partner I don't want to do that to them they're not familiar with the more nurturing forms like you were saying like maybe you know somebody can receive service in a very appreciative way mm -hmm. or people who do some sort of age play or just other kinds of caretakering or nurturing sort of dynamics between them it can be um you know, that sort of um, ritualized caretaking. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have people that struggle with the... Okay, so I read Story of O when I was like 16. I think that this Me is too. pre yep. Fifty Shades. <laughs> and I found it titillating. But then I was also really put... Like, now I can see that that story has lots of problematic sure. elements. My 16-year-old unwoke stealth, though, still like bucked at the idea of somebody treating me so as carelessly and callously as yeah. that the master or whatever did there do you a lot of feminists okay how do you rectify being a, a feminist and a sub like and that's mm. I guess you kind of just explain that to me a little bit yeah. but I guess it doesn't have to be about domineering right necessarily but I, I had how, this moment I was I was in a dungeon and I was bent over with my my neck and my wrists in stocks and I was getting flogged by a guy and people were watching and I had you know I had my my feminist freak out and I, I hear from a lot of people that they have that moment because I did have this gosh how can I call myself a feminist and be doing this thing and I did more reading and I talked to a lot of people and and what it comes down to is choice it's not what you're doing. It's that you're getting to you're freely choose to it. it. So whether it's to have kids or not to have kids, to work or not to work, to get, you know, flogged recreationally or not, or to put on an apron and make someone's dinner in a ritualized servicey way, you know, or not, or to be the one who's being worshipped and getting your feet rubbed. That's what I think it comes down to with feminism. It's about choice and it's about... Um, having all of these social and economic structures that these things are actually free choices that you mm -hmm. can make without coercion. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. And, <laughs> That's and, what I think about that. <laughs> I mean, because I wonder if I've just spent, you know, the last 20 something years like shutting myself off to pleasurable experiences because mm -hmm. it doesn't line up with my like, I'm a take note. No man is ever going to tell me what to do, at, you know. Like. But how good does it feel? Oh, it <laughs> feels so good when I lean into the things that I've been shamed for my whole life. Like, look at my big, wet, floppy, like, pussy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good feeling. Like, I got a fist up there. And you know what? I can walk around just <laughs> fine. If somebody thinks that makes me disgusting, I don't care. You know, like, it's really throwing a middle finger. And who who says the doms are actually the one in charge? I mean, we, we talk about... Um, topping from the bottom 
that phrase so much. Do you? Absolutely. I don't believe in that. Okay, let's go into that. Let's go into that next. Let's go into that next. I really want to talk about that. I want to learn more about that because I want to know the language too. But myself as a, um, as the sub, I'm the one who indicates to my dom when the activity stops, Mm -hmm. not him. So who's really in charge, you know? So yes, topping from the bottom, tell me. Yes. So I think that that is one of the many ways that we try to shame people for speaking up for their needs and speaking up for their, their wants. And I think there's also a lot of shaming of people in the bottom or submissive role. You know, a lot of this language we take from gay men's communities and there is mm. some of that in gay men's communities, you know, sort of bottom shaming. And in other communities, they only treat an act as gay if it's on the receiving end so if you fuck Uh, someone in the ass that's fine but if you're the one getting fucked well mm -hmm. that's shameful right because you're the bitch you Mm -hmm. are the female and i think a lot of that then carries over into kink because you know a lot of kink borrows from you know gay men's communities there was a lot there that is now you know for the whole mainstream being used by the whole mainstream kink community and there's you know conversations to be had there about you know, what was appropriated out of those communities. Um, well, but- holy shit, you've convinced me. <laughs> I will avoid that phrase. But yeah, no, I think so. Topping from the bottom is basically telling someone like, oh, you don't get to say, gosh, that hurts, do it differently. Or you don't get to say, here's what I'd really like tonight or or anything, any kind of speaking up for yourself. I've only seen it used in practice when somebody is shutting down totally reasonable feedback and trying to be one of those domineering doms or tops and not actually interested in a power exchange, right? That's that's what it's called, power exchange. It's not just one person bossing someone else around. The other person has power and is choosing to give it up for a defined period of time. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be honored. Mm-hmm. So let's move to our next question if we're ready. I've been a sex worker for about eight months and I've had a boyfriend for about four months. He doesn't know what I do. Sex isn't the same for me anymore. It's not enjoyable and I can't orgasm. It just feels like a job. Any tips on how I can enjoy sex with my boyfriend and be able to orgasm without feeling like I'm just doing my job and pretending? So you need to fuck your boyfriend an entire... You need Okay, don't try to fuck your boyfriend. Try to enjoy pleasure with your boyfriend and do it in a very different manner in which you interact with your clients because, of course, you're having the same physical response and you're disassociating because you might disassociate when you see your clients. I, as a sex worker, do it all the time when I don't want to absorb every single touch or scent or, God forbid, taste, you know? <laughs> One of my worst memories was thinking like okay I'm gonna kiss this person I'm seeing for escort money because I know they'll pay me extra like ew I don't want their their mouth on my mouth I don't you know um so we disassociate because that's how we can do the work and a lot of people disassociate so they can do work that is challenging and traumatic to them um think about other think about other jobs you know you might even have one if you're listening so the way the part of the problem is that your boyfriend doesn't know what you do Um, And I understand that telling him what you do can bring up a whole other host of issues because how many guys are just okay with their partner being a sex worker? By the way, forgot to mention this. Um, And that's not your fault. But um, it makes sense that you are having, you are associating these experiences because you need to really, really try to differentiate the way that you experience sexual touch with him and the way you do it with your clients. And that's really hard to do. Yeah, it's, it's such a hard question for me to answer because honestly, like towards 
the end and i was dancing for a lot longer than this person has been doing sex work and i was pretty burned out say how long towards the end this is significant 20 22 years yeah yeah 22 years 23 years in september is how long you've been stripping yeah Mm -hmm. um a really long time and i was by the end of it and i was working in some full contact club like when i worked at like you know, this you were you give like full people can kind of touch you there, and honestly, I didn't have, I felt like I had to choose between my job and having it was too much for me to have sex or have sexual. I I can do it at the same time, you know. So mm-hmm. that's great that you can state that it was the right thing for me at the time. You know, like I had to keep dancing even though at the time I was ready not to. I was have you know like having strangers touch me it was a lot to deal with and it was best for me at the time to not also have that like dynamic when I came home too I I really couldn't handle it Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's really really important for you to say and for people to hear because people get touched out all the time Um, yeah I think a lot of what you said about how to differentiate what you're doing and as much as possible separating one from the other maybe even ritualizing it in some way you know everything from the outfits being worn to maybe the perfume or lotion to change completely it. Oh, change perfume the sensor- is a big one. Yeah, change oh, that yeah. whole sensory experience. Have everything that can be different when you're with your partner be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would su- highly suggest if you don't already, you have a specific work perfume that you wear at work and you never, mm-hmm. never ever cross that line with it because mm-hmm. smell is, is a yeah. really big one it'll bring you back someplace and treating it like theater yeah if you have things like certain makeup certain outfits certain perfumes that you're putting on that role and maybe helping differentiate that from who you are as a person so you're not sharing everything about yourself and all of your vulnerability um Mm-hmm. which I don't know how you could do and protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When we say everything about yourself, I think it's like, you mean like your safety mm-hmm. in that way. Like mm-hmm. it's such a vulnerable place to be yeah. like your body with someone else's body. Definitely. Um, yeah. Eight months. And we don't know what kind of sex work this person's doing, but I mean, it really doesn't matter. I definitely think the more full contact stuff tends to be harder for people and more dangerous. It's if it feels invasive. It's harder to block out when somebody is like really heavily rubbing on your shoulder or elsewhere or whatever it is they're doing. You're like it brings you back to reality unless you're constantly, you know, yeah, constantly getting out of it. You know, I'm really really happy when my pleasure can overlap with my work, but it's definitely not most of the time. Um. It's definitely not most of the time. Yeah. And even then I still get touched out. And I said to a boyfriend, I said to boyfriend this morning, um, <laughs> he he, he kind of was like, where is this coming from? But I'm intuitive enough in our relationships at this point to know. But I said, do you feel like you have enough sex or do you wish you could be having more with me? And he said, uh, I wish I could be having more. I said, okay, I'm I'm perfectly happy with the amount we have because I know that my work fucking exhausts me and I know that my my libido will return. But at this point, I don't have enough to give you and I just want to acknowledge that I haven't forgotten about you, but I need like a break. And he was really, really grateful for that. But again, he knows what I do for work, so. That's true. It's, it's good to have those conversations that, because sometimes people don't know. They don't know if you're exhausted from work or if you're just 
not Hate turned them. on by them mm-hmm. anymore you know yeah I think it would be really difficult to not be able to have those conversations yeah. while at the same time being perfectly understandable that it might be difficult or impossible to have that particular conversation hey friends do you get sore muscles or stiff joints like us how's your skin is it dry itchy irritated bruised or sunburned if so it sounds like you need some nabom in your pocket Nabalm, that's N-A-E-B-A-L-M, is an all-natural skin and body balm handmade right here in Portland. Nabalm products use a base of organic olive oil and beeswax followed by an infusion of therapeutic essential oils, each of which provides all sorts of benefit. Oh yes, and they smell amazing. To learn more, check out nabalm.com or search Nabalm on Facebook or Instagram. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Visit her office in Portland or connect via Skype to take your intimate life to the next level. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. So let's talk about what happened last month in uh, New York. Well, I'm sure many of you keep up with the news and notice that Eric Schneiderman, who is the New York attorney general and big Trump foe, um, resigned after allegations of assault came from four women that he had dated. Um, These allegations included hitting, choking, strangulation, verbal abuse, Uh, Sometimes these things happened during sex. Um, According to the women, none of this was consensual, even though Schneiderman is quoted as saying that when these things happened, and I quote, they were engaged in role playing and other consensual sexual activity within the privacy of intimate relationships. Um, And according to one of the women that he dated and did this to, she is quoted as saying, I want to, this is so, this is really... I probably it's pretty triggering. So if you're trigger warning, trigger warning, if you're easily upset by this stuff, maybe take a break. You're also on the wrong show if you're easily triggered, honestly. She goes, I want to make it absolutely clear. She says this was under no circumstances a sex game gone wrong. This did not happen while we were having sex. I was fully dressed and remained that way. It was completely unexpected and shocking, unexpected and shocking. And I did not consent to physical assault. Even though other women, this is another unnamed woman, recalls being alone with Schneiderman in a romantic situation and him saying, yeah, you act a certain way and look a certain way, but I know that at heart you're a dirty little slut. You want to be my whore. He then became more sexually aggressive. um, But as she pulled away from him, she says that, quote, suddenly, at least in my mind's eye, he drew back and there was a moment where I was like, what's happening? And then she recalls he slapped me across the face hard twice yeah it's awful stuff like this he choked another woman um of course he says that it's a kink thing and here's the unfortunate part it very well could have been but how would you ever know and it also doesn't fucking matter because if you were doing stuff during a kink situation and then you broke the agreements it doesn't fucking matter whether or not you started out in a kink situation. Does that make sense? It does. Even though these women all state, though, that it wasn't... At right. no, at no yeah. point did they enter an, into any sort of contract ag- agreeing to, like, what the limits of this kind of behavior was. It all seems intermixed. There's lots yeah. of alcohol involved. Yeah, a lot um, of people were saying it was after he has been drinking, and a lot of kinksters will tell you it's 
not advisable to engage in these activities when you've been drinking. And of course, what is at the heart of differentiating BDSM from abuse is consent. Mm-hmm. And right. none of these women consented. And so even if it is his kink, this was not a kink activity because the women didn't consent to it. Well, and bringing up the kink stuff is such a horrible way to throw your blame on another group of people. Like, remember when uh, Kevin Spacey mm-hmm. was like, oh, I'm gay. I'm gay. That's why I sexually assaulted people or grabbed people. It's like, it's well, that's nothing. It's just how it is. That's yeah. not how, that's right. not a reason. <laughs> and we've heard this before. People have used kink as an excuse for their abusive actions before as well and not I mean that again makes the mainstream people think that all of the kinksters are fucked up perverts and also it gives people who are trying to be predatory it gives them yeah more things that they can point to when they are trying to talk somebody into thinking that the stuff that they're doing is okay and is acceptable. So mm-hmm. maybe this is whole this whole culture of this non-consent culture around Fifty Shades of Grey and things like this have had, have enabled men like Schneiderman to abuse others. Maybe I mean, do you think this I is don't all think it like hasn't. a big thing that? I don't think it hasn't. I think it's really trendy for young men to call themselves doms. And I don't think it means that they have any knowledge or experience or like that they've sought out, I don't know, information on how to safely tie somebody up or places to not strike them with a flogger. If you were a total noob to the kink community in the BDSM community and it was, it's something that you're just starting out into, what are some red flags that you might look for? Like to keep yourself mm. safe what what are some pro you know what are some things to be aware of you've mm. always got to trust start- your gut absolutely trust your gut if something feels off it is there aren't different rules in kink and bdsm in that way if something feels creepy if you don't like something fine great you don't like it there's nothing that you have to like or have to do to be good at kink or to be in those communities there's so many different ways you can engage there that if you don't like something you don't have to do it If somebody is trying to be your only point of entry or your only source of information, it's trying to get you to not talk to other people, to not go to munches, to not go to classes. A lot of it mimics any other kind of behavior in abusive relationships. If someone is isolating you, if someone is telling you what's true and not letting you talk to other people about it, Mm -hmm. um, that is enormously problematic. One of the things we always tell folks in Kink 101 classes is to get references on people. Mm-hmm. And don't play alone. There are so many parties and play spaces that have dungeon monitors, that have party hosts, where if you say safe word, someone is going to come and check on you um, versus being home alone with somebody. So are a lot of these like kink parties, and so are they chaperoned or supervised then by a community member? Or It'll depend that- where you are in the country or the world. I mean, there's places where it's very unsafe and probably illegal to have sex parties. Like in Alabama, you can't even really safely buy sex toys, I think, unless a doctor is prescribing it for you oh for some God. kind of dysfunction. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's awful. Yeah, it's okay. When I was over in Connecticut, there was a woman, uh, Samantha Manowitz, who was leading uh, a kink uh, workshop. And she said that, you know, realistically, we have to remember that people around the country lose their children, lose custody of their children, lose their jobs because they participate in kinky stuff um, consensually. So it really depends. There's a lot of limitations to finding these groups. Um, Mm FetLife.com 
is a good website, but they moved to an invite-only model for a while. Well, I'm sure FOSTA, SESTA is going to fuck all of this up now. Absolutely. Too. Yep. Yeah. Um, after the recent bad legislation of FOSTA and SESTA that we've talked about, and we will continue to talk about as its impacts because unfold. Because it's a bad idea that it's has real-world bad consequences for everybody. Yeah. There's been a but, lot of deletion of these platforms. Um, like, again, Craigslist Personals is gone, so... Did they move it or is it gone? I think it's just completely gone. I think it's gone. Although I think people are getting very creative with their car ads and other things. Now. Their car ads? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah. well, you, when you said mention checking references too, what do you what do you mm-hmm. what do you mean? Like just asking other? Should someone be able to provide you a list of other pe- or classes that yeah. they've taken? It's or? a really good idea if you're going to do something dangerous with somebody. Ask them how how they know what they're doing. I mean, this is one okay. of those things that I have noticed is sort of the difference between kink and I think what ends up just getting called rough sex. Mm. Um, you know, in in my dating adventures in the world, you know, if I'm just meeting somebody off of OkCupid, I will often ask people if they're kinky and they'll say no. And mm. in one notable example, this was years ago now, but I was on a date with someone, they said they weren't kinky. And then as we were making out, you know, their hand went around my throat and they started choking me. And I was like, welp. Like, on the one hand, I'm into it. On the other, I'm used to having some really extensive conversations first, knowing that you know how to do it safely, asking me if I'm into it. And we ended up having all those conversations. And again, they just didn't get it because they weren't in the kink communities. They were used to having what they called rough sex. They were from, you know, the more default world where nobody is talking about anything. They're just doing the stuff. Mm -hmm. And it turned out he was a good, well-meaning guy. And we talked about all the things and I taught him a lot. And that ended up being okay, ultimately, but was that approach great? Absolutely not. And that's some of what we're seeing, you know, with the, you know, the articles that are coming out now, they're, they're villainizing the acts, you know, all of these articles that I'm seeing, you know, there's one that just came out today in The Guardian all about choking and basically coming back to the choice thing that you asked me earlier, you know, it's not feminist to be choked and how can we be you know sharing our stories as women if we're being choked and I think the quote was like if there's a hand around our throat or a cock you know down our mouths you know how are we and and that it it is the sex shaming gets tied up into it Mm -hmm. they're not focusing on the fact that the lack of consent was a problem they're saying ew yuck people are hitting each other people are choking each other Mm -hmm. that's gross that's bad that's wrong Mm -hmm. and that's missing the point it's just more sex shaming i want to make a random example question just because it's really trendy on netflix right now did either (laughs) one of you watch wild wild country uh about the tantrika not a tantrika i'm sorry the sex guru osho Okay, so there was footage of a therapy group session, and this was a very inclusive, like, tantric sex-based spirituality community that, like, definitely had some flaws and was also probably some kind of money laundering scheme. But (laughs) it showed some of the footage, and and this took place in Oregon, um, like, 30 years ago. And there's a whole great show about it on Netflix. But it showed some footage from one of the therapy groups, and it was naked people punching each other, humping each other, clawing at each other. And all of these people had entered into this consensually. And one of the people who had been with this um, group, this cult, this whatever, for a decade and a half, he said, you know, in the early years in the therapy groups, we allowed a lot. And they did have a lot of footage because they were a big community. But showing just that isolated footage when it was shown to the public in the late 80s or the early 80s Probably terrified no people. 
terrified people. But I mean, really, it's like if you're a boxer, whether you're a female or male, I mean, you're you're getting punched in the face. Is that feminism? I don't know. You chose to be a boxer. (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) So check that show out. I guess it's a given, though, as you know, boxers willingly enter a ring. I I guess with from my problem when I, I... I've watched some pornography in my time, a lot of it that depicts rough sex. And I know on some level that I would say most of the female performers have consented to do, even though that's up in the air sometimes. I mean, on some of these sets, it sounds like things happen and escalate during the, you know, the the length of a scene that they didn't necessarily agree to. But I guess what always puts me off is even though I know that they've signed something and I'm hoping they're aware of what happens never in a lot of these it never looks like they're enjoying it there's never any I wish they would talk I talk about it a little bit in some of these Mm -hmm. scenes because then I just see some dude like punching some chick who's then like gagging on his dick and crying and I just don't think that it looks like a lot of fun and if this is where men are learning about rough sex that that this is how what it should look like for everybody. I mean, then porn that's isn't not... supposed to be sex ed. That's right. not what it's made for. Right. That said, yeah. there is better porn to be had. Um, I really like queer porn for this a lot. Uh, crash pad crash in particular. Pad. They can uh, I high five you? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, please say crash pad. Uh, and they do show. There's a whole behind the scenes interview with the performers where they're talking about how they know each other, what their safer sex practices are, how they decided what to do in terms of being made ethically. Like you were talking about, people bring their own partner. People decide what acts they're right. going to do, and they have the kind of sex they actually have. Mm-hmm. So there's no one else you know, coercing them financially or otherwise mm-hmm. into doing this. And then you see a lot of examples about what real kink looks like. There are crash pad episodes where people's clothes never come off. There's mm. all kinds of really interesting stuff. And I suggest this to clients all the time because, yes, it's still porn. Yes, there are still edits. And also you hear some negotiation and you actually see them using lube mm-hmm. and you get to see the way real bodies do things and you get to see sometimes they try a thing and they're like oh actually that's not working for my body right now let's do this other thing instead Mm -hmm. I certainly when boyfriend and I were selling our porn which hey we're still selling it it's just really hard to advertise after FOSTA anyway when we started making (laughs) porn I specifically told him I said people want to see the way we fuck I don't want to make this look like a regular porn yes we're going to shoot with angles and like lighting in mind you know and edit for stuff that's maybe I don't know, not as visually appealing, but I wanted to leave in some adjustments, definitely. Like he slapped my ass at one point and I said softer. And later during editing, he says, can we cut that out? Because you sound like you're irritated. And I said, I was a little irritated. (laughs) You hit me harder than I wanted. And that was his anxiety, which leads people to smack each other because they're like, do I do the sexy thing I saw in the porno? Okay, sure. Oh, wait, we didn't talk about it. You know, this is my partner. He just got nervous. Yeah, you guys are both talking about the same thing too. It's like, the choking and the gagging and the crying would be better for me too if I could see beforehand the setup. Or like in uh, Belladonna, a lot of her porn, and she did really, really kinky hard stuff with women and men. Um, uh, she, I mean, it would be like a full hour of behind the scenes to watching them like do their enemas and I definitely and feel better about watching stuff that has a behind the scenes attached to it mm-hmm. where there's laughing and joking and rapport like Mm -hmm. off camera rapport Mm -hmm. and what you said earlier Jen about um, scenes 
starting out consensual and you've read about them ending up not yeah there was a a female performer who said that she worked with James Dean and she told me you know he was digging his fingernails into my cheek with his hand in my mouth and she's worked for a decade and a half and she says he didn't need to be doing that and I realized that he didn't need to be doing that he was doing that just to be gross and well he did that to lots of women he did he? worse yeah he did a I was bummed. Yeah, I was super sad. Like, uh, I never so really liked I'll, him that much, but I was bummed because I'm like, another one bites the dust. Yeah, right. Uh, but I mean, yeah, that's not okay. I, you know, I read something that someone had a really well. That's why I was asking about chaperones or maybe mm-hmm. I don't know in the in the kink community. But that's all. That's something I've really wondered about with porn, and that some I've someone else, not me, originated this idea. I wish I could remember who it was. Wrote in an article about how you have. In films, in traditional films, when there's animals being used, there's a PETA representative. Why the fuck don't they have advocates on rough porn sets, right? Well, well, because then you have to pay them, and then you're really just paying your pimp, someone to show up with you and make sure you're okay. I mean, I don't think that's realistic, but it's hard when you enter into any workspace. You don't know when the work's going to suddenly become not consensual if I enter into my bartending shift and the other bartender starts grabbing my ass in front of customers and I can't chew him out because he's friends with the owner you know like right I don't know that's not a real life example but if there were an out an outside party that just makes sure people stick to that that to step in and go hey this is not outlined in the agreement here this person is saying a safe word and yet here you are going if we Still, stop shaming maybe. this kind of work so much, maybe there could be a union. Maybe there could actually be reps that I mean, were looking maybe out that for certain guidelines better, yeah. rather than just firing anybody then, who actually stands then, up for themselves. But or then has society boundaries. would actually have to recognize this as like legitimate work that people do. You know, yeah. I love it. I love it. You two have been delightful. Um, <laughs> so you have. thank you. So I this love is you, Elle. I love you too. This is great. We're going to be growing together. Um, I'm going to learn more about uh, research and politics from Jen, and Jen's learning a lot about sex already. I know. I love Maybe that. Maybe one day I'll get to have some myself. Oh my god! <laughs> Are you going through a dry spell. Yay. <laughs> uh, uh, Stella Harris, you're always fabulous. Um, thank you. It's too bad nobody got to hear your infamous laugh i love your belly laugh i love it so much come see come see stella speak or do anything follow her on uh, stellaharris.net and then read her new book when does it come out it comes out in mid-september mid-september Ooh, my and birthday. it's available for pre-order now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all of the places that you buy books. Awesome. I'm probably going to do a launch party uh, here in Portland at Shebop. It's looking like it's going to be on the 13th of September, which is also my birthday. So I can, you know. Mine is on the 16th. <laughs> Mine is on the Yay, 18th. Virgos. Oh, my God. Really? This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, look for <laughs> Tongue Tied, Untangling Communication in Sex, Kink, and Relationships by Stella Harris. For more Strange Bedfellows, check us out on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows and become a supporter for access to behind the scenes material and extra content. My name is Elle Stanger and you can find me at stripperwriter.com and on Instagram at stripperwriter. And my name is Jen. You can reach me on strangebedfellowspdx.com. 